Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Hey man, you guys can take a seat. So this week we sat down as a family to watch a Christmas movie together and the experience helped me realize that my kids are now at an age where it is a no-win situation for me to be in charge of the remote control anymore. Like there's zero chance I want to give it to any of them, but I catch a lot of flack for everything I do wrong now. It's like, dad, I can't even hear, turn it up. And then an ad comes on and it's, dad, are you deaf because you're so old? Turn it down. And I got yelled at for everything. I mean, at one point I got yelled at for sneezing. Why did you do that? Now I didn't hear what they said. said, I'm sorry, that's my bad. I should have licked more public door handles as a kid to develop a more robust immune system. But what if we just rewind it? You went two seconds too far. Oh, you do not know how to use this. Hand it over. It is a little bit humiliating as an adult man to have your remote privileges stripped from you, especially when you prove your kids right by accidentally restarting it while handing over the remote. It's just, that's... That's my life now. And it's difficult because I live in a family of remote control freaks. None of us like anyone else to be in charge of the remote control. In fact, my daughter Emma sometimes hides it or carries it with her when she leaves the room so no one can change the channel even when she's not in there. It's just really neat. And I was thinking about it this week and realized you could probably remove the word remote from that description of my family. And I could just, in a real honest moment, tell you I live in a family of control freaks. All of us like to be in charge constantly. And I don't think we're that unique at all. In fact, even though it looks different from person to person, even though control plays itself out differently based on our personalities or our wirings, I think probably every single person in this room has some control issues. Like part of being human in this broken world is grasping for as much control as we can over our lives and our situations. And I think that's how God wired us. That's not really what I got taught growing up. I felt like the message was always, you have no control. God is in control. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. You have no control at all over your life or over your future. And the sooner you get over it, the better things are going to be. But that's not what the Bible says, really. If you open it up to the beginning in the creation poem, it says God decided to create humanity in our image so that they may rule. And then we read, God created mankind, male and female. He created them in his image. And he said, go, be fruitful, multiply, subdue, rule over every living thing on the planet. It's kind of interesting that at the very beginning, God connects part of what it means to be made in his image to the idea of taking control, to this creative participation in everything around us and in the future of the planet. You guys, God made us for control. And it's a biblical idea that we find again and again and again throughout the book that when we take control of the things God made us to control, our words, our time, our work, our behaviors, our thoughts, life is better and more beautiful. But there's a problem. 
The problem is that sin entered in and broke the world, and sin is not creative at all. Sin doesn't invent new things or new pathways. What sin does is it takes things God made and then twists them until they become something other than what God made them to be. Like if you thought about all the sins in your life, if you sat down right now and you made a list of every sin you're struggling with currently, of every sin you've ever struggled with, chances are almost everything on that list would be a good thing that you allowed to move outside of the parameters God set for it. A gift that he gave you that you twisted and used in a way other than the way God created it to be used. St. Augustine said that the root of sin is misordered affections. It's loving the right things the wrong way. Or loving the right things in the wrong order. And control is absolutely on that list for every single one of us. It's God gave us the ability to participate in shaping the world and cultivating it and creating the future. He gave us things to control. So there are things we ought to take control of. But sin came in and twisted that impulse in our hearts. And now we have a compulsion to take control of things we were never meant to take control of. Things that are beyond our control. Things that are only God's to control. You guys, just as much as life goes better when we take responsibility for what's ours to take responsibility for, life goes worse when we grasp for what isn't. When we try to exert control over our circumstances or over other people or over God, we attempt to manipulate him into doing what we want him to do. And let's be real, all of us do that all the time. And it leaves us feeling fearful and frustrated. It leaves us weary. I'm convinced that one of the greatest single causes of weariness in the world today is taking this gift of control God hardwired into our humanity and allowing it to get out of whack. The truth is we all want to sit on the throne of our own lives, and we all kind of want to sit on the throne of the world. And anytime we sense a threat to our throne, we grasp for control, but when it happens, it inevitably ends up in failure and frustration because we simply cannot control the things God hasn't given us to control. And it's frustrating to even try. And so this morning, as we continue this Christmas series that we're in, A Weary World Rejoices, I want to talk about how we can take control of the control freak that lives inside all of us. And specifically, I want to do that by looking at a character in the Christmas story whom God has used to teach me a little bit about taking control of my control issues. We find a story in Matthew chapter 2. And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can crack it open to the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, we got them in a bunch of different colors for a bunch of different ages back there in the, at the Next Steps table. Grab them before you go. But the guy we're going to talk about today is named Herod. And I actually want to invite us this morning to try to see Christmas through Herod's eyes. And I know that might sound crazy, because even if you're not a churchy person, most Americans know enough about the story to be like, yeah, but Herod's the bad guy. Yes, Herod is the bad guy. And it's a whole lot more fun to read ourselves into Bible stories as the heroes. But I actually believe that our response to Christmas, if we're honest, is a whole lot closer to Herod's response than it is to any other characters in the entire story. 
and I'll explain. But first, I want to give a little bit of the background, because the original readers of Matthew's gospel, like when he first wrote it down, they knew who Herod was. And so as soon as they heard the name Herod, there were a lot of thoughts and emotions that came flooding into their minds. And so it's important for us, if we're going to look at Herod's story and Herod's reaction to Christmas, to understand who he is as well. And so Herod is not to be confused with Herod Agrippa, who we find in the book of Acts. That's his son. This Herod was Herod the Great. He was an Idumean by birth, which is a region just south of Israel. And he came from a prominent political family that gained more power after the Roman legions under Pompey conquered their territory because they were super loyal to Rome. He was a Jew by religion. His father converted and raised him as a Jew. And by his mid-20s, he was the governor of the region of Galilee, which is where Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, is located. But at one point, the Parthians came in and attacked and took over Galilee, and Herod was able to escape to Rome. And then he went to the Senate, and he pled for troops and resources to go take back the area. And he told them, this is a really economically critical area for Rome to control. And the Roman Senate was really impressed by Herod, and they were swayed by his vision. And improbably, they decided to name him King of the Jews. Herod, King of the Jews. Hang on to that thought, because his title is not an unimportant factor in the Christmas story. And so he takes his resources and his troops, he goes back, drives out the Parthians, and begins his reign. And you'd be tempted, since he's known as Herod the Great, to think it went well. You'd be wrong. Herod's reign was marked by incredible, ruthless violence. This is a guy who was willing to eliminate anybody and everybody who stood in his way. He even killed family members who he thought were a threat to his power and disloyal. He killed three of his sons, his mother-in-law, and his wife. But he had other wives, so it wasn't a big deal or anything like that. He even created a secret police force to suppress dissent in Israel. The guy was a ruthless despot. And he's known as Herod the Great because he was a prolific architect and builder. He was convinced that for Rome to love him and think he was important, he needed to undertake these great projects. And so he levied heavy taxes against the Jewish people, and they weren't happy about it. But despite that opposition, he continued to build and build and build because Herod believed that that show of wealth would establish his legacy forever. That's Herod. He's a really neat guy. And this is what we read about him in Matthew chapter 2. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, and these are the guys we sometimes call wise men, but Magi meant that they were the occultic religious caste of the Persian Empire. They're priests and philosophers and theologians. They came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born what? King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, time out. King of the Jews, whose job is that? That's Herod's job. That's Herod's noble title. He earned it. So here's the part where I want us to try to put ourselves in his shoes for a minute. I know we don't want to because he's the villain. He's like the worst Christmas bad guy of all time, not named Scrooge the Grinch or Mr. Shirley. Like Jelly of the Month Club. And I, don't, like, I don't know where you want to rank those four, but those four are the, the worst four villains, and we don't want to believe we have anything in common with a guy like Herod. But imagine, you're sitting here, you're king of the Jews, and then some philosophers from the East show up, and they're like, hey, where's the new king of the Jews? How quickly would you pay attention to everything they're saying? 
Like, how intently would you lean in and focus when you heard that? I don't think every single one of us in this room would have the exact same reaction. We'd say, I don't know why someone's gunning for my job, but listen, let's remain a team, all right? (laughs) That's exactly what Herod did. He was not happy at all. In verse 3, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And here's your first clue, even if you knew nothing else about Herod, that this is a guy struggling with control issues because he was disturbed when he should have been delighted. He's a Jew. The Jewish people have been waiting for thousands and thousands of years for all these prophecies about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one to come true. It's the heartbeat of their hope. And so when he hears the king of the Jews has been born, he should have thrown a great party, but he didn't. Instead, he freaked out out. And I get it. I actually see a whole lot of myself in his reaction here. He heard somebody was gunning for his job and he wasn't very happy about it. He got a little bit worried. And I think most of us who struggle with control can actually relate to that response because the more we struggle to control everything around us, the less we like change. Not changes so much that we institute or we come up with on our own, but things, people, and situations changing around us that we have no control over. And this is actually a really good gut check moment. If you're not sure whether you have any out of control, control problems in your soul, ask yourself, how well do I respond when changes get thrown at me out of complete left field? Most of us don't respond really well most of the time. There's a book that came out a few years ago called Who Moved My Cheese? It's about how human beings are creatures of a habit and we really don't like it when things change that we didn't want to change. I think it's a great book title and also it could be like the autobiography of Mike's marriage. Like, Jenny, who moved my cheese? I left it in the middle of the table last night. Why is it not still there? Oh, cheese needs to be refrigerated. You put my stuff away. Also, where's my pants? They were in the middle of the floor last night. Like, it's hard to be Jenny. It is. But man, do I resonate with this idea of like feeling poked, feeling like my sense of control just got threatened every time something isn't the way that I left it and the way that I wanted it to be. And this is exactly what happens to Herod. He realizes that a situation he would very much like control over is out of his control. And so he's disturbed. We read that all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him, which seems kind of weird, right? Like, shouldn't somebody in Jerusalem have been excited about the idea that the Messiah was born? Yes, except for the fact that, you know, the guy with all the power in their city was incredibly violent and he tended to get just a little bit murdery every time he was scared. (laughs) The reason all Jerusalem was disturbed is they had no idea what Herod was going to do next. They'd seen what he was capable of. And so everyone was on like high alert. And I think there's something for us to realize here. The more control we try to capture, the more chaos we create. The more control we, we clutch for when we aren't meant to have it, the more we attempt to manipulate things and people and situations that are beyond our control, the more pain and frustration and weariness we create in the lives of everybody around us. And I think all of us know what this is like. 
Most of us, probably all of us, have have fallen victim to it at some point in our lives. Somebody with power over us, whether it was a boss or a parent or a coach or a politician, you name it, somebody with power over us got scared that they couldn't control a situation that was outside their control, and we suffered because of it. And a lot of us have done that to other people. We, we got scared or frightened or frustrated and made the people beneath us on the power structure suffer. And that's exactly what happens with Herod. He wants to grab a hold of a situation that he cannot get his hands around. And everyone he had power over suffered because of it. The more we try, the more we want to capture control, the more chaos we create in the lives of everyone around us. And Herod, he's not even done. We read, when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Hey, I also thought it was kind of funny that Herod called together all of the chief priests and teachers. Because like these guys knew the Old Testament. They've been waiting for multiple millennia at this point for the Messiah to show up. Any one of the priests, every one of the teachers could have answered the simple question that he just asked. Herod didn't need all the teachers and priests. He needed a priest or teacher. But he called all of them in because he was panicked, so he overreacted. And overreaction is another sign of control problems. This may not be comfortable to hear for all of you overreactors out of there. Sorry, but our live stream cut out for a few minutes during this service. Keep listening to hear the rest of the message after the issue was resolved. So when he heard the new king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem, he hashed a plot. We read, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. And even if you didn't know the story, if this was the first time you'd ever read Christmas, you're like, this feels a little fishy. That king who was disturbed, all of a sudden he wants to worship the baby? And it gets even weirder when you realize the word he used in Greek is proskunao. It's a compound word. It means kiss toward. It's like literally blow kisses. And this was a physical position in the ancient world of saying, I submit to whatever God or king or whoever you were worshiping is saying, I, I submit my life to your control. Anyone you kissed, like if you kissed them on the cheek, you were an equal. If you blew kisses to them, they were above you. And so Herod's saying, let me proskunao. I, I would love to submit to this baby which is a total lie, but control freaks lie. That's the thing they do. In fact, there are a whole bunch of modern psychological studies that have connected control issues to pathological deceptiveness because people who can't control their controlling impulses seek to manipulate others. They want outcomes that are within their grasp and so they'll cheat to get them. They'll just lie to everybody around them and convince themselves, well, the ends justify the means. As long as the end is I'm in control, people are doing what I think they should do, thinking what I think they should think and feeling what I think they should feel because I'm the boss. And so here's another gut check. If you find yourself consistently shifting the truth just a little bit, if you find it easy to be dishonest with people, even a tiny bit, If you convince yourself, oh, it's all for their own good, then you might have more Herod in you than you think. 
And probably we all do. It's hard not to. Because the heart of the human problem has always been the problem of the human heart. Every day I look in the mirror and I see the person I want on the throne of my life. Frankly, the person I want in charge of, of everything. And in case any of you are sitting out there thinking, oh, Mike's a pastor, he's so spiritually has a picture of Jesus on his mirror. Okay, unless Jesus is a pasty white bald guy with a beard to cover his second chin. It's, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Like I, I see me staring back at me and every time that I can't get control over what I want control over, other people suffer because of it because I reach for it and I grasp for it and I get frustrated without it and I hate it so much. But I read the Christmas story and I see some Mike and Herod and I look at the story of my life and I see some Herod and Mike and I'm reminded the heart of the human problem has always been the problem of the human heart. And I know I'm not alone in this. There's something in us that takes the hard wiring God gave us to have control over certain things and twists it to the point we want control over everything. And if we're not careful, it will not only leave us weary, it'll absolutely cut us off from the joy and the beauty of Christmas. We'll miss out and we'll end up in the space that so many people in our world end up in as it relates to Christmas. We just love the little baby in the manger. The nativity scene is cute and it's precious and all the warm fuzzies and it's knee as long as the baby stays in the manger. But if that guy grows up and he crawls out of that manger and then he gets in the way of my plans and he gets in the way of my hopes and my dreams, if he becomes not just savior, but Lord, so I have to prosecute now, I have to bow down and worship, I have to surrender control, I have to, I have to give up the throne of my life to him, then that changes the Christmas narrative because I don't get to be king anymore. The baby is king. It's a whole different story. And that's what Herod realized and he rejected it and he missed out because of it. And not only did he miss out, he caused great pain. And the story ends with the Magi finding Jesus and rejoicing exceedingly as they bowed down and worshiped him and gave him gifts. And then Herod not finding Jesus and flying into a fit of murderous rage because of it. And again, the irony is thick. The pagans were able to find joy in surrendering their lives to the promised Messiah. And the Jewish king found only weariness and frustration in trying to hang on to his throne with everything he'd gotten. Because he was worried about his legacy. And 2,000 years later, what do we got? Herod left the world with a bunch of ruins. And the baby in the manger left the world not only with hope and joy, but freedom and forgiveness. And he gave the world its most significant movement, this thing he called the church. You guys, Christmas, God breaking into history, the infinite becoming an infant, Christmas creates conflict for the control freak in all of us because it's a reminder that we are not in control of everything and that the only way past the weariness of our inability to sit on the throne of the world is to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our lives. And so my prayer is that we do that. My prayer for every single one of us this Christmas is that we would surrender to the rightful king, to the one true king, and that we would find in Herod a cautionary tale, like a control freak's guide to Christmas that reminds us if we twist the beauty of the gift God's given us, of some ability to control our lives and our futures, if we twist that gift and attempt to grab hold of stuff that isn't ours to control, our circumstances, the people around us, God himself, we will not only miss out 
on the lives he dreamed us up and knit us together and put us here to live, but also we will cause pain and frustration and brokenness in the lives of the people around us. So we got to get our inner control freak under control. And my challenge to you this morning is, is simple. I want to challenge everyone in this room to do two things. The first one is this. Find some area in your life where you're trying to control something you know is not yours to control and surrender it. Figure out one place where you're trying to grab hold of something God never asked you to grab hold of and it's making you weary and confess it to him. Come to God and say, look, I've been trying to control this thing and all I'm really doing is creating chaos and pain for the people around me. Would you help me trust you enough to surrender it to you? Would you help me let go of this thing I'm clinging to so that I can grab hold of the better things you have for me? And start with just one. You don't gotta jump into the deep end right away because you know, if, we, if we come to God and we're like, okay, God, I give up control over everything always. Number one, that's a bad idea. He's given you some things you're supposed to control, so take responsibility for those things. And number two, if you try to do it all at once, you'll fail. We'll all fail. So start with one. Find one thing this week where your control is creating chaos and, and trust God enough to surrender it to him. And then the second one is this. If the control freaks God to Christmas suggests that compassion is the antidote to the need for control inside our souls. And it absolutely does suggest that because compassion absolutely is that antidote. That I want you to find one person this week you can see through Jesus' eyes rather than Herod's eyes. And I don't care who it is. It could be your husband, your wife, your kids, your parent, your teacher, a classmate, a neighbor, some random person you meet on the street. And I don't care what you do for them, whether it's big or small, but find one person to whom you can show compassion because they're in need. Again, whatever it is you do, find one person whose burdens you can get up underneath to allow compassion to flood into your soul. Those are my two challenges this week. I dare everybody in this room to try them. They're not hard. Every single one of us can do it. All of us can identify one area where we need to give control back to God because we are not controlling it well. And all of us can find one person to whom we can show compassion. I think if you don't do it, if you won't do it, if we won't do it, if we're like, nah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like it, we'll find ourselves caught up in the same, like, twisted, weary spiral Herod was caught up in, and so many people in our world are still caught up in, one where we're trying to capture control, but we're really just creating pain and frustration, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of everyone else around us. And if we'll do this, if we're just willing to go all in and say, God, I trust that you are who I cannot be, then what we're going to find is as compassion fills our souls, our need to control people, and really our need to control anything that's outside of our control fades away, we'll find the ability to find real hope and real peace and real joy, even in the middle of this weary world. Because the throne of our lives is occupied by the only one who is built to sit on it. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, help us. Help us. We all have this, this thing inside of us that wants to be king of the world or queen of the world, king of our own lives, queen of our own lives. We all have something in us that wants to twist this beautiful gift you've given us to make choices and affect the future and, and create beauty and turn it into this thing where everything is exactly the way that we want it to be and everyone does exactly what we want them to do. And then we know that this compulsion causes pain 
in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. We know that it cuts us off from the beauty of the stories you put us here to live. And so help us surrender. Help us come to you with open hands and give away the stuff we've been trying to wrap our hands around that wasn't meant for us. And Lord, would you just help us? Would you help this church, this community, as we continue to just press onward toward the future you have for revision? Would you help us be marked by compassion? Would you give us the lens to see other people that allows us to serve them and love them rather than compelling them and using them? And would you work through us to show your love to a weary world in a way that helps everybody around us rejoice? Because you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.